Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Independent TD Michael Fitzmaurice becomes the third member of a new political party, Independent Ireland. But do voters have the appetite for another party? We debate. Plus, as fears mount of an Israeli ground offensive in the overcrowded Gazan city of Rafah, a top EU diplomat, Joseph Borrell, warns the US to limit arms exports. Well, if you believe that too many people are being killed, maybe you should provide less arms. And she's a chart-topping superstar who stole all the attention at last night's Super Bowl, but could an endorsement from Taylor Swift impact the upcoming US election? The Independent Ireland Party was formed last November by Limerick TD Richard O'Donoghue and Cork South West TD Michael Collins. Well, earlier today, Roscommon Galway TD Michael Fitzmaurice became their latest member as the party revealed it also aims to run in the local and European elections. Joining me to debate whether Ireland needs yet another political party is Fianna Fáil TD Jackie Cahill, Independent Ireland TD Michael Fitzmaurice, People Before Profit Solidarity TD, McBarry and editor of the journal.ie, Sinead O'Carroll. You're very welcome along to the programme tonight. Uh, Michael, I'll have to come to you uh, first on this, but before I do so, actually, I'm going to remind you about our nightly live interactive poll, which allows you to have your say, because tonight we're asking, do we need another new political party? You can vote online on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash vote. Or you can follow the QR code on the screen and we will bring you the poll results later on in the programme. Uh, now, Michael, to come back to you, um, congratulations on becoming a member of Independent Ireland. Uh, a new party will will uh, have to get our teeth around. You have not been in a party to date. You have not been in a rural independent grouping to date. So why now? Well, over the last year, and indeed I've said it on this programme, um, that I believe with the way politics is going, if you want to... As a TD, you can do a lot of good for people, but if you want to be in where the piano is playing, uh, the numbers one time was Tony Gregory done Trojan work in Dublin. Um, it went to four or five, it went to... It's 12 at the moment. And I think that we need to uh, make sure that if you want to be in government, you'll need the numbers because uh, the way the polls go at the moment or the way the, the, the dolls are going at the moment, it's either a two or a three uh, groupings or parties mm. that will be required to make so up So this is all about getting into government? Well, look, at, um, I'm around nine years um, in the Dáil. Um, I had the privilege of being at a programme for government. Um, and I think that if you want to uh, basically do real change um, or bring policies that you believe in, that you have to be in government. Um, we can shout all we want from the 
opposition benches. But, you know, if you're in government, obviously you have the powers uh, that be. Okay, well, what happened last time when you worked in the programme for government? Well, what happened the last time was that I spent three weeks up and down the road. Uh, we had, I had a few things got in agriculture in the line of the sheep welfare scheme. I had the mm. ANC got. Um, we had little other else at the time. I felt we were, you know, there was no way you could go in and not have documents. I'd be a big person on making sure the documents were right and policy documents and an agreement was reached in a programme for government. Uh, that wasn't achieved. So then you don't go in for the sake of keys of care or uh, to be going around in, in, a, in a state care and then you go in to make sure that the policies you believe in and the programme for so government... So why do you think you'd get more this time round? Well, if, if it were to come to that? Well, the difference is that there's, uh, there'll be a policy document ready within the next four weeks for the public to view. Okay. Um, and on top of that, if you have the numbers, it's a numbers game. I might okay. like what the Greens implement, but in fairness to them, they have the numbers at the moment and they're making their imprinting government. OK. Also with this, I mean, do you believe that there isn't a political grouping that's serving rural Ireland? Is that why you think um, there's a need for it? This isn't just about rural Ireland. Um, there's aspects of it in agriculture about rural Ireland. There's about balanced regional development. There's about towns and villages in rural Ireland. But there's also, um, every day I go out, and I'm sure other politicians are hearing it no more than me. I'm no different to anybody else. Uh, you hear people that are saying that they're disillusioned with uh, what's there. And you'd say to them, well, what are you, who are you going to vote for? And they'd look around and they'd say, well, you know, I've no one to vote for. And we're hearing that day in, day out. I believe there's a, a, a niche space there mm -hmm. for a, a party. And look, time will tell. This is a risk. You know, I'm not afraid to take a risk. At least I'm, I'm going to do it. And history will tell whether I was right or wrong. All right, OK. Uh, Jackie, to bring you in on this, people saying to Michael, uh, they've no one to vote for. They've no one who represents them. What do you think of that as a Fianna Fáil TD? Well, obviously, I don't agree. I think this government has served rural Ireland well. There has been but are you hearing that? No, there's been very significant investment in rural Ireland. And like the co-funding just on the cap at the moment, the co-funding is at its highest ever. We have 2.9 billion, an increase of 50% um, co-funding in the cap. Right. Uh, we have huge development, huge re uh, regeneration of rural towns and rural villages. I think the amount of money that has been put into rural Ireland has never been as high. So, you know, I think, you know, obviously Michael and his, and, and his, and his, and his colleagues in the Dáil have decided to set up a new party. We've had numerous new parties set up in the past. And, you know, we will face the electorate in whether it is three months, six months or 12 months' time and go back, I think, with a track record that we have delivered. Yeah, because we're talking about that, the point of new parties. Do you think there's a point of difference between yourself and Michael? Well, myself and Michael work very well together on the Oireachtas Committee, which I chair on the Agricultural Oireachtas Committee. And I think in a lot of ways we want what's best for rural Ireland. So now... I think, I think the way to achieve that is in a party like Fianna Fáil, which has a record of delivering in government. All right. And just take on, on yours, we've doubled the premium You're on yours. You're not answering my question. Do you think there's a difference between what Fianna Fáil is offering and what Michael is saying that he, he wants to offer uh, the well, electorate? I, I'm a TD representing a rural constituency. I will fight extremely hard for the people of rural Ireland. Deputy mm. Fitzmaurice does the same. And like, we both want to achieve the best for our constituents. So I do that through Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil have a record okay. of being in government. And in government, I think we have delivered in the last three and a half years. Right, OK. The sense is it? well, he's not... Jackie's not pointing out any differences between... Well, you. first of all, I'd say it'd be an awful lot easier for Jackie or for any of the other parties, especially if you're from rural Ireland and... I've heard plenty of Fianna Fáil TDs talking about it, that to be very, to be a lot easier to be more compatible with the likes of Michael Fitzmaurice, Richard Arden, or Michael Collins than it would be with Damon Ryan or some of the others. 
All right, okay, so you're, it's a dig at the Greens there in that one, but well, you're not really seeing a big point of difference between yourself, there will be, uh, there Fianna Fáil and perhaps Fianna Gael. First of all, there will be huge differences. There's a lot of problems in this country. There are some things going okay. I'm not, going to, I'm not a slater of everything. There's housing problems, there's health problems. That affects people in mm. cities in, and abroad in rural Ireland as well. But the one thing that people will see is a huge difference in policy documents and the one thing you need to do is deliver as well. There's no point announcing something and not delivering. All right. Um, Mick Barry, to bring you in here, you're from another small political grouping um, in the Dáil. Do you welcome another party? Well, I certainly think that there is a need for an alternative to Fianna Fáil and to Fine Gael. Uh, and if we had uh, a very large party, uh, bigger than People Before Profit Solidarity, which championed workers' rights, was anti-racist, socially progressive, and would do no deals with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, I would welcome the development of a party of that kind. But I don't think Irish society needs a new party the likes of Independent Ireland, and I'll tell you why. Um, the leader of the party has been a campaigner against women's rights, against abortion rights uh, specifically. Uh, its deputies have opposed uh, the winter uh, eviction ban. Um, they have uh, connections now with the European far right, uh, and um, what are the connections? Well, there was a, a, a meeting held before Christmas, uh, the title of which was The Family of European Conservatives is Expanding, which was attended by representatives of the new party. But it also was attended with representatives of the Law and Justice Party from Poland, the Brothers of Italy, and the Vox Party in uh, Spain. And I don't have time to go through all their policies, but the Law and Justice Party, for example, mm. is championing the idea of LGBTQ+. Uh, free zones in Poland, vicious uh, anti-gay uh, uh, policies. So this is a party of the right, uh, and it's it's not something that I would welcome as such. All right, I want, I want to put that back to Michael. Um, those meetings that were held, um, were you aware they were being held? And what for, do you think of first of all, the potential um, affiliation all, between uh, independent Just to Ireland? be clear on this, um, I was actually invited to a meeting in Kilkenny. Um, I was told there was a commissioner coming from the... Is there, um, am I correct in saying, Mick? that somebody belonging to them is uh, one of the commissioners or involved in agriculture. Uh, if someone is involved in agriculture, I'd be going. Then I was told they weren't coming. So I didn't go to the meeting. I don't know who else went to the meeting, to be quite okay, frank. But what do you say to that claim about links to far-right well, like, parties? First of all, in fairness, let's, let's, let's be civilised about this. Michael Collins or Richard know, or Michael Fitzmaurice in no way is linked or in no way has anything to do with far right. And I, I think it's actually a disgusting comment to come out. Second of all... Well, first of all, if, if it's a conference, if someone is talking, does it stop someone from sitting in a chair down at the back to listen to what someone is saying? Is there something wrong with that? I go to meetings every day of the week. Jackie goes to meetings, farmers' meetings, different meetings we're invited to. Some of them could be difficult meetings. But we still go to them right. for invitations. There's, there's, there's European groupings, like there's the European People's Party and there's there's different groupings within Europe. Um, are you comfortable with being allied with those well, First of all, groupings? First of all, we're aligned to nothing in Europe. That's the first thing. Be very clear on that. Because all we'll be doing is putting candidates forward for Ireland, not for anybody else. That's the first thing, to represent Ireland. Second of all, um, Mick referred to uh, voting uh, in the Dáil. In relation to some people, um, and they're entitled to it, on either side of the divide, and Fianna Fáil, in all fairness, always give free votes on it, mm. on matters of conscience or what you believe in, they're entitled to a free vote, 
and I think they should be respected for what they believe in. Not go down the road that you have to go this way or the other way. I'm, right. I'm not really talking about free votes or conscience votes. I mean, I had a look before I came out here tonight at the last 30 votes that took place in the Dáil. And your two new parliamentary colleagues in this party, on more or less 25% of occasions in those 30 votes, have voted with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And this is something that I find with right-wing independents yeah, but in the Dáil. Now, if I can yeah. finish my yeah. point there, Michael. It's a trend that I see with right-wing independents in the Dáil. They go back home and they yell against Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, but they come up to the Dáil and okay. almost as often as not, they vote with them. Can, right, I, can, I, can, I, can I just answer that? Now. Can I just come back on that? First of all, um, if I see a policy that's good, and I think you just don't go into the Dáil to be voting against everything just because Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael Bernardine or any other party whoever is in government. I actually went out to Mertz and backed the cap deal. Isn't that correct, uh, Jackie? I was man enough to do okay. that. I'm not your, your, your parish punk type of a politician, nor neither are the others. We're right. able to go out and we're able to make a, a matter or our decisions based on what we see in front all of right. us. Okay. Not that we're going to keep voting the, the, against the Sinead, government all the time. Just to bring you in, like, is there an inevitability to this? Um, many countries have a party representing rural interests specifically, representing farmers specifically, and we haven't had that to date. Was it coming? Yeah, well, you can see there's a, an appetite for something else in, when you look at the polls. The, the polls of polls at the moment show the, that independent grouping are getting more and more support. It's up at 18% now, if you take the aggregate of polls. And a lot of that is rural Ireland. There's a good chunk of it in Connacht, maybe, who would have been punting for Sinn Féin in the last couple of years. They're moving to somewhere else. The only thing is, you have to be very careful that rural Ireland isn't a homogenous group. So, and if you're going to join together with no party whip, you know, there, there has to be something that, that binds you together. If there's no whip and there's free votes on everything, well, what does someone in Donegal then think if, if or someone in Wexford, how are they a homogenous group? The same with farmers. We had our columnist, uh, Thomas Duffy, writing about this recently with farmers being linked to the far right. He was like, farmers aren't this homogenous group that lean uh, to economic right or socialist right uh, or social right issues. They're not this big homogenous group. So if you're a party, you, the devil will be in the details of manifestos and how they pick candidates. What I would say when there's connections, when people are talking about the connections to the right, one of the first things on your um, website is about defunding NGOs or that the, some of the funding to NGOs. No, and no, there no. is a part of that says we don't mean health and social services. But what exactly, what right. exact okay. NGOs are you talking um, about? And are there people at home thinking, OK, I might be in rural Ireland, but I very much need this NGO to either look no, after my interests okay. or fund a service for okay. my child or for myself. First, so, all right. That's, there, I think there's some interesting that's, detail there. First that's all, in reference to, first, <clears throat> sorry, yeah. just a note on the website. Well, we recognise... Uh, the many NGOs in Ireland will provide vital services. We will work to radically reform this sector. Uh, uh, talking about the Irish taxpayer funding some 33,000 NGOs, cutting duplication of services and streamlining the sector. Mm. Are there specific NGOs you're talking about no, the, there, what, Michael? What we have said that a review of the whole NGO, the six and a half billion a year being put into mm. NGOs, it needs reviewing. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with looking okay. at something? But just, I mean, for, and second of all, for the viewers to, on non-governmental organisations, Give us an example of duplication of services you're talking about. Well, Claire, um, we would see, uh, in the, especially in the environmental lobby, uh, a lot of NGOs that would have a lot in common uh, doing a lot of objections, and we need to look at where funding is going in the line of those. But in the overall context, we need to make sure, if you're spending 6.5 billion, it's a large portion of your budget, 
You need to make but, sure. But you can understand why people would say that that's a right talking point because that is very much a talking point yeah. of not just the right. Because I understand and I totally agree that reviews are necessary, yeah. and a lot of the yeah. services NGOs are providing, the state should be providing. So I think Correct. people will right, will agree on okay. that. Correct. But it is a far right talking point to just umbrella NGOs but and say that there's you know corruption in fairness. or whatever. That's an important point that uh, Sinead has raised there. Uh, I mean, I have a list of NGOs in front of me here. I'm not going to read them all out. Irish Wheelchair Association, yeah. National Council for the Blind, Threshold, extremely important services in communities, in urban areas mm. and in rural areas mm. as well. But the point I'd make about it is this, is that the NGOs step in and do a job in many cases that, that the, the state should be yeah. doing. So would you agree, Michael, to the point that if you're talking about 33,000 NGOs cutting a duplication of services and maybe providing funding... Um, where it's sort of required or else for the government to step but, in but we have to I, I think would be a better option there. I think you would see a situation where the state, the state is yeah. providing services, yes. okay. but you would actually end up not cutting money there, you would actually end up spending more because the wages of a public okay. sector worker are, way, are, are higher than a lot of the low wages that exist in many of the NGOs. We need more investment, not less, as is being we, suggested. We also have to just make sure that it's not a way for people to politely say that they want to defund LGBTQ organisations or organisations that okay. might not fit in with the Conservative um, thinking. And sometimes that's the NGO umbrella is used to try and defund think, or to uh, talk against okay. some of the organisations that I, are providing for minorities. Okay, I want to bring um, Jackie uh, Cahill in on this. Um, and we've spoken about NGOs. Uh, another point being raised is about overspending with the party talking about Ukraine funding, international protection services and foreign aid. Uh, is that something that people are, are saying to you on the ground where maybe the government is, you know, spending too much in those particular areas? Jackie, can you see why uh, the party might be picking up on that? Look, immigration is a huge issue. And, um, you know, whether it's just climate change or political oppression in different countries that's causing immigration, it's, it's you know, we have seen the movement of people has, has been seen since the Second World War. You know, this government, we, have, we you know, we are looking at immigration. Mm -hmm. We are making, you know, recategorising safe countries, etc. Okay. And, you know, as the point, and, you know, I was on this programme a couple of weeks ago talking about Ros Grey. We need extra resources for the town that have a lot of, um, um, whether it is Ukrainians or foreign nationals. But do you think, in part, it's a response, and maybe Michael joined the party and I'll ask him this, is a response to that sentiment that maybe is uh, emerging that people are asking questions about immigration in this country? You know, people are asking, you know, you will always have different viewpoints on, on, on an issue like mm. immigration. Sure. You have it in every country across Europe. You have it in the UK, you have it in every country across Europe. You know, we're a country, you know, um, we, we, look, we, have, we, have, we have said we need to look at it. You know, the level of funding that Ukrainians were getting has been, has been, has been, has been reformed. So, you know, everything has to be, has to be looked at. Right. But I think this country, you know, we have, we have a, had a history of immigration for a long number of years where we sought better places. And I think we're not going to close our doors to people who are fleeing oppression and starvation. Right. Is it, is it, are you running in part on an anti-immigration platform, no, Michael? Absolutely not. Can I come in on just that? In, in reference yeah, when just you talk second. about the overspend in, in particular. Can I first of all come in on the on, on the yeah. point on Ukraine? Uh, the difference will be in the details when you see the document. And what has been referred to, because I know specifically what's been referred to, at the moment throughout this country, tonight there could be 650 people that have in the bed that has come in from other countries. Mm. Um, and when you go around Ireland, uh, there is no accountability for the amount of beds that's filled. Unfortunately, you could have three or 400 beds that private providers, and it has come out in the doll, are providing, and the taxpayer is paying for that with no one lying in it, while we have 650 more people 
lying on streets. Mm -hmm. Is that not accountability? Should that not be looked at? Is that the way to run a business? Absolutely not. And that's what's been referred to on that. All right. OK. I just want to bring you the results of our uh, interactive poll. Tonight's question was, do we need another political party? The result of that poll was 68% saying, yes, we do. And 32% saying no. So two thirds of people um, who responded to our poll tonight, McBarry, saying, yeah, we actually do need a new uh, political party. Uh, your thoughts on that? It's kind of go back to the point that I made at the outset. Um, the, the idea of a party which would be for workers' rights which would be for the separation of church and state, uh, which would be anti-racist and which would uh, challenge Fianna Fáil and, and Fine I'm not drawing conclusions on people who may have been voting tonight, but we were discussing it, I suppose, in the context of Michael joining this new political party. So perhaps those voting saying we do need a new political party might have been saying, well, this sort of party is the party they would welcome. I think if you drill down into it, you probably would find that there would be a significant number of people who want to see a right-wing anti-immigrant party but I think you'd find a significant number of people who want to see okay. uh, a radical left-wing party that challenges okay. the, the rule of the market and the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael okay. duopoly. I think they'll want to see whether it's a, it's a party that acts like a party that they're, you know, does it function like a party or does it function like, like a group of independents who will just look after their, their parish from yeah, politics, which you say, Michael, question. you're not. And I think most people who know your work would say you're not. Yeah. So I think that could be the, is there a difference the detail when we have the rural independence. Is, it, is, is that just like a calculated move as in if you're a party in your own right, you stand a better chance of getting into government and a coalition? Well, no, the, the, the first thing is that I would be... Um, it, the, uh, the ideal situation is that you get into government. A lot of people don't want to get into government. But, but the party the idea, is the vehicle the, the ideal situation which to do that. Would be able to address Sinead's uh, points, we've made it very clear that if you agree a programme for government, you vote on it and you stand by it. That's it. If you, if, uh, if on a budgetary matter, you have to stand by it. But there's one big difference compared with the ordinary, with, compared with the parties that's there at the moment. And Mick will know well because of any amendment they've seen him put in. When legislation comes into the doll, nobody sees it only the minister. It lands in. You have to vote one way or the other within it. Amendments aren't taken. And why don't we have a system mm. that on legislation that we get, uh, and I think we'd make better legislation if we had the support of the Dáil. Not basically roll out the guys, okay. tell them they won't be running in the next election or the whip will be taken off them. Right. That's not the way you do politics. You do it together. In, would you agree with me on that? On an issue-by-issue issue basis, yeah. It's, you know, you put forward a proposal to increase the minimum wage to 16 or 17 euro. I'll vote for it, yeah. Okay. Just very briefly on this, and, you know... Mick would clearly state his, you know, lefty credentials and all of that. But you're very slow to, to label the party or put it into a right-wing bracket. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because if you open your mouth about climate at the moment, and I haven't done it many a time, you're right-wing. If you open, if you say something, and everyone who's... But is there something, something wrong with that in your, your view? Are you well, I, I, no, but hold on. You have to be very right careful of, of where you're labelled in the line of right-wing, because right-wing, in certain instances, oh. isn't, isn't the most desirable. We would be common sense, and I think anybody that knows us for the last number of years that we've represented our constituency knows that we were grafters and that we will put oh, our right. best foot forward okay. in both local, right. national and European okay, elections. OK, we've got the, the party uh, political broadcast out of the way. Um, we await the policy papers. Michael Fismaris, thank you for that. Uh, my thanks also to uh, Jackie Cahill and to Mick Barry. Sinead is staying on with me. Coming up after the break, Israeli strikes in the overcrowded city of Rafa has killed... At least 74 civilians.
We'll have the very latest. Welcome back. Now home to as many as 1.5 million people. The southern Gaza city of Rafa was the location for his... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Israeli airstrikes in which 74 Palestinians died. Meanwhile, EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell has urged Israeli allies to stop arming the IDF. I'm joined now by Sean Carroll, CEO of Anera, an organisation which helps refugees and others hurt by conflicts in Palestine, Lebanon and Jordan. And joining us also, rejoining us, is journal editor Sinead O'Carroll. Down the line is Scott Lucas, Professor of American Studies at the Clinton Institute. You're all very welcome um, to the programme tonight. Sean, I want to come to you first because you were actually in Rafa before Christmas, um, an area that is now clearly in Israel's sights. And as I mentioned there, there are over 74 people confirmed dead in, in strikes by Israel. Also as part of an op operation there, they rescued two hostages. Um, but tell us just how precarious you believe the situation is now as people fear this impending ground offensive by Israeli forces. Well, it really is unbelievably precarious. Um, this is, as, as we know, a, a strip of land where people cannot leave. There's been a blockade and a, and a siege for 17 years. So uh, people haven't been able to get out before and they're not able to now. Um, and they don't want to leave. They want the bombing to stop and they want to go back to the homes that they've been displaced from. But Rafa, as we all know, was just one sixth of the land and now has um, nearly three quarters of the population uh, stuffed into this tiny mm. corner of the of the strip. I was there before Christmas and I, I could feel from one day to the next the increased pressure of more evacuees coming to Rafa and squeezing into uh, uh, areas of land mm. that just can't contain that uh, population. As you say, they're a huge displaced population. They're displaced from the north and from the, the centre of Gaza. They've been moving down ever since um, the Israeli offensive began. Um, and on the issue of aid, how much of the food requirement is being met? What about the, the shelter in that uh, overcrowded region right now? Yeah, and we've all become experts on, on the number of trucks that should come into Gaza uh, every day. And there are some disputes in the, in the numbers, but um, the United Nations logistics cluster uh, used to keep track before this war and four, four to 500 trucks would come in on any, any given day into Gaza. And we haven't seen that 
even one day in this nearly 130 days since this started, there were two weeks where nothing came in. So really we needed to see a big surge beyond 500 trucks a day. And we've only had one day that went over half of that. Uh, and we're seeing still only about 20% of the necessary aid coming in. All right, and what are your people on the ground telling you? Because you have teams working um, on the ground trying to get aid to people or secure, you know, as you say, the food, the food requirements. It's, it's, been, it's been difficult for them to try to, to manage this right now. Well, it's very it? difficult. It's always difficult to, to provide humanitarian aid when the war is still going on. Bombs are still dropping, and that's been that way for, for nearly 130 days now. We have a... A small staff, it's a, we're a, an American organization, but our staff are all Palestinian, uh, working in Gaza from the communities, in the communities that they're from. And they were able to respond immediately and start uh, distributing, procuring food and other items locally and distributing it, and now distributing in-kind donations and, uh, that are coming in uh, into Gaza. But it's, it's difficult. And the, the biggest, the best humanitarian aid that could happen now would be an end to the war. Mm. We've heard anecdotally about cases of starvation. Uh, on the ground, are, are your, your members of your team saying that to you? Well, yesterday we heard for the first time um, a direct evidence of, of people dying of starvation. Our, our lead emergency responder who hasn't stopped working since October 7th and really has been the lead person delivering over 15, nearly 16 million meals now. We're delivering a million meals a, a week, and he's the primary person uh, leading that, that work. And yesterday he found out that a friend of his in Gaza City lost their child to starvation, and uh, it was devastating. He feels like he's not doing enough when he's delivering over 150,000 meals a day, and he's, he's feeling like we're not doing enough. And he's right, we're not doing enough. Mm. I want to bring Scott Lucas in at this point. Scott, um, thank you for joining us on the programme tonight. Uh, Rafa, whatever about the rest of, of Gaza, Rafa is a pressure cooker right now with over a million people there. Uh, and, and on the political stage, what may happen has come under an awful lot, or what Israel may do in terms of a ground offensive has really put all eyes on that small, overcrowded re region. We heard Joseph Borrell, the EU foreign policy chief, saying today... Uh, too many people are being killed in Gaza. And he had sharp criticism, didn't he, for President Biden, saying if the US president thought Israel's military action was over the top, well, if you believe that too many people are being killed, maybe you should provide less arms. And I think that whether or not you agree with Burrell being so critical of Biden, he has identified the key point. Uh, a lot of the international community, uh, quite rightly, is speaking out and telling the Israelis do not carry out this ground assault as well as the aerial bombardment in Rafah. Do not attack areas in which defenseless civilians will be killed in large numbers. But it's really only the U.S. that has leverage at this point. I don't think the EU has leverage over the Israelis. I don't think certainly a country like Ireland, as well-meaning as it is, has leverage. I don't think countries even like China have leverage over the Israelis. It's the United States that could do one of two things. It has refused to support a ceasefire, including through the United Nations. It has refused to support uh, unrestricted aid going into Gaza, as Sean has pointed out. And the second thing it could have done is what Burrell has identified, which is it could cut or even suspend military aid to the Israelis. But in fact, since October 7th, the United States has significantly increased the number of bombs, including unguided bombs, to the Israelis significantly increase the number of anti-tank shells that go to the Israelis, 
as well as, for example, things like parts for the jet fighters that the Israelis use on a daily basis to attack Gaza. I'm wondering when we had President Biden saying that Israel's military action was over the top, what does he plan on doing about it? Well, that's the whole issue, is that the Americans have been saying for since the start, since October 7th, telling the Israelis, look, don't go in with the ground offensive, don't go in with these you know, uh, widespread bombing raids that level residential areas, as well as supposedly kill Hamas fighters. And they've repeated that again and again, including with Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State in the region two, two weeks ago. But talk is cheap. And what matters here is, is that the tough part of taking action to back up those words, the Americans aren't doing it. And as long as Americans show no signs of doing this, then the Israeli war cabinet, in particular, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, why should they stop? Why should they give way when they know the Americans are not taking substantive action beyond wagging a finger at them? Um, Sinead, when we hear, um, you know, as a EU's top foreign policy chief saying, well, you know, if you want to see fewer people being killed, stop sending arms, the EU is also arming Israel um, through you know, Germany, Italy and others who sent armaments there. Uh, there has been, as we know, you know, criticism from Ireland's point of view um, towards what actions other countries should take. That very much reflects the public sentiment, doesn't it, according to um, a survey that you've carried out? Yeah, the journal um, with Ireland Thinks, we looked at um, just ahead of the European elections, we're doing six months of polling with Ireland Thinks just to see how people feel about what the EU could and should be doing for people in Ireland. And there's such a depth of feeling about what's happening in Gaza amongst the Irish population that we wanted to see the actual figures on that. Because Scott said there that the US are the ones with the most leverage, but it doesn't mean the EU are completely um, without any job of work to be done. And everything that everything that they could have done so far, even, even if words are cheap, they haven't even been doing a lot of the, the strong words until now. Obviously, things have changed in the last couple of weeks. Um, but we asked the Irish public, did they feel the EU response, how, how they rate the EU response to what happened in Israel and Gaza? And really stark, like really big depth of feeling. The, the two-thirds majority mm. said that the EU response was either very bad or bad. And those figures got even more stark when you looked at 18 to 34-year-olds, people who are really engaged in what is happening here and want to see change. They don't want to see MEPs voting for a conditional ceasefire. They don't want to see just words and no sanctions. They don't want to see the sanctions just being against a few people in the West Bank. They want mm. to see actual action. And if that means, you know, Germany stopping arms or actual sanctions um, or, you know, working as a block instead of leaving Ireland being an outlier with Spain and Belgium to do things. So I think that, that, that's the message that Irish people are sending. It, I think people are happy okay. with strong statements like Micheál Martin is making today, but they want to see the EU bloc working much more together on this issue. Well, we have heard, um, Sean, of course, from the International Court of Justice ordering Israel to abide by six provisional measures, one being... Uh, take immediate and effective steps to ensure the provision of basic services and humanitarian aid to civilians in Gaza. Are they taking those steps in any meaningful way? Well, they are reaching out to say, how can we help? And we have had meetings with, with the uh, civil administration of the uh, occupation army uh, uh, to let them know what we need to see and that there needs to be more creativity and more flexibility and more speed and more alacrity and just simply a, an increase in the amount of aid. And it is too complicated. And people who work on 
on emergency response in other areas of the world are amazed at how difficult it is. And it, it shouldn't be this difficult. It can't be this difficult. And is that I a new is that a new step from your organization's point of view that you're hearing now um, from Israeli officials on, on, on how they can how they can step up? Is that what's happening? The, the proactive reaching out, yes. And I think that came uh, during the, the ICJ's deliberations. Um, but we're registered in order to work in, in Palestine, in the West Bank and Gaza. We need to be registered with the Israeli authorities. We coordinate them with them when we need to because mm -hmm. they have the final say on, on so much of this. All right. Uh, Scott, just to bring you back in on, um, you know, what Benjamin Netanyahu said, that one million people need to be evacuated. Um, the question is, where are they going to evacuate to? Again, Joseph Borrell saying, you know, where are they going to evacuate these people? To the moon. That's, the, that's what he was saying earlier at a press conference. Um, the reality is, where will people go? I can't say it better than that, but I'll just remind the viewers out there that in the first phase of this operation, after Hamas had attacked inside Israel on October 7th, the Israelis said, OK, we're going to respond, but we'll hit northern Gaza, and you can move to the center and to the south. Then they expanded operations into the center of Gaza and said, well, you can move to the south. And then in December, they expanded operations across all of the Gaza Strip and said, well, you can go to a particular area like Khan Yunus. Then they attacked Khan Yunus and said, you can go to Rafa. I need to be painfully honest with your viewers. In my opinion, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is effectively saying the Gazans should go to Egypt. Now, Egypt doesn't want them. Egypt doesn't want a permanent refugees, hundreds of thousands there. The Gazans don't want to leave and lose their homeland, as their ancestors did in Palestine in 1948. But Benjamin Netanyahu said a couple of weeks ago that all of the territory between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean should be controlled by Israel. And that means a depopulated Gazan area, uh, in his view. And that's what we face right now, is whether anybody will stand up to that view of a Gaza without Gazans, or a Gaza where Gazans are in perpetual fear, facing starvation, deprivation, and death on a daily basis. All right, okay. Um, Scott, thank you for joining us tonight. We're going to have to leave that. Uh, you are staying with us um, for now, but thank you uh, for your view on what's happening right now um, in Rafa and indeed uh, throughout Gaza. Um, we appreciate you coming in tonight, Sean. Uh, thank you for being with us and bringing us up to date on your operations in the area. Scott is staying on with me, as I say. Um, thanks to Sinead. After the break from Joe Biden's age to Taylor Swift's influence, we get the latest on the US election. Please do stay with us. Welcome back. With her billions of streams, 14 Grammy wins and hundreds of millions of followers or Swifties, Taylor Swift is a force to be reckoned with. But could her influence extend to the US election? Well, Scott Lucas has stayed on with me and joining him is podcaster Fanula Jones and the Irish independent Barry O'Callaghan. You're very welcome along uh, to the programme. Fanula, to come to you first, um, Super Bowl, the biggest event on US television, but it really revolved, didn't it, around Taylor Swift, it has to be said. There were two teams on the pitch, it has to be noted, among them 
um, a team on which her boyfriend Travis Kelsey was playing uh, yes. with uh, Kansas City Chiefs. They won out. But all eyes really and all cameras on, on Taylor Swift for its entirety. Her influence goes far beyond her fans. Yes, that's for sure. I mean, Taylor Swift is an artist of a millennium, a person of a millennium, when you consider the impact she's had on industry, on music, has become an industry in and of herself. It's She's a fascinating figure and it kind of seems like whatever she touches turns to gold. You look at this Eras tour that she's currently on, that she's bringing to Ireland this year, looking like it's going to be the first tour to cross $1 billion. An absolutely insane figure. You're having countries clamouring, begging her to bring the tour to their city in order to stimulate their economy. And even we're looking at Super Bowl footage here. Her, her flight to the Super Bowl because she was coming from Tokyo, having played a show to try and get to Vegas on time. It was the number one tr uh, tracked flight in the world. You so, know what I mean? It's like it's obsessive. Obsessive, so 100%. why do you think she has this influence? Because she's been around for a really long time. And people always point to her concerts she had a few years ago here and they couldn't fill um, the stands mm. here. And she was, you know, and so her popularity has utterly exploded. Yeah. Why now? I mean, it's a great question. I think it speaks to her ability to reinvent when you think about it musically. I mean, you look at her commercial achievements, so many records sold artistically. I mean, she's become the only artist ever to win four uh, Album of the Year awards at the Grammys. It's just her, she's very calculated in how she does things and how she approaches things and has always remained very engaged with her core audience, the Swifties. And I think that's, to be honest, the key to her success. She engages with them, speaks to them, and that's what keeps them coming back, buying tickets, mm. buying records, buying vinyls, constantly. Uh, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because as I say, her influence, Barry, goes well beyond just her fan base. So much so that we are in an election year now on, and all eyes on whether she will back Biden. Yeah, I mean, she does have some bit of a record in backing uh, Democrats. Uh, she's, uh, she's from originally, she's from Pennsylvania. Mm. But she persuaded at the age of 14, she persuaded her parents to actually move to Tennessee, to Nashville, because of her uh, obviously huge ambition mm. to become a, a musician and a music star. So she's familiar with uh, politics in Tennessee. And in an election there in the midterms, 2018, she uh, criticized Marsha Blackman, the Republican Senate candidate, saying that uh, she was effectively, well, actually, she said, she's Trump in a wig. And uh, she criticized her voting history and backed the two Democrats that were running against Blackman. Now, Blackman won the election. So, you know, so the question is, how much influence does she actually have? Now, that was, it's, that, it's, was, it's, that was a few years ago. Do you think it could be different this time around? I, and are the Democrats be. holding out on, on her support? It, it, it may be. Well, the, the Democrats are really hoping, obviously, for her support. Mm. But, you know, if you look back uh, to 2016, Hillary Clinton had a veritable galaxy of stars and celebrities backing her, asking their fans to vote for her. And look what happened to that. In fact, in that election in, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, there was a huge concert 
with uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce, and literally days before the vote. And Hillary was there, and she was very prominently shown there. And yet Ohio backed Trump. So the, the broader question is, would uh, do celebrities have really a, any great effect on people's behavior at the ballot box? I think the jury is out on that, to be honest. And the second question is, or there are two other questions. One, will Taylor Swift actually buy, uh, back Biden? And even if she does, what effect will it have? Will it, will it make any difference? Will it make any difference? Um, Scott, to bring you in on this, are you a Swifty? I was a Swifty before there were Swifties when she was a country and, music, uh, country and Western star in Nashville, Tennessee, where I also lived for a period of time. So let me bring all this together. I think it's too narrow to ask, will Taylor Swift endorse Joe Biden? Will she be behind Democrats for the presidential election? Because what she has already done is she has spoken out and tried to make people active in terms of issues like decency, tolerance, rights including women's rights and LGBT rights. And she's had an important influence using her position to do so. As a uh, would you say more as a, a role model, um, Scott? Because, you know, we were, we, we were talking briefly about it and saying, say, on, on Gaza, she hasn't said anything. She hasn't said much recently um, to date of note, politically at least. Is it more in her wholesome actions um, that she's sort of garnering that influence? Right. I think if you pay attention to Taylor Swift, you'll see a couple of things. The first is, here's a woman who was exploited early in her career by her management team, and she succeeded in taking control of that career, re-releasing albums that she made early on to control not just her persona, but being an artist. And a lot of people know that. And secondly, oh, she speaks out. I mean, if you look at her music very carefully, whether it be The Man, whether it be Why Do You Have to Be So Mean, these are songs which have become anthems. They have become anthems, including to members of my family, in terms of LGBT. And I know that I'm not the only person who has family members who have been galvanized to say, look, we can take control of our lives and speak out for what we want, and we don't have to hang back because of this. Okay. And just to add one point, when Taylor Swift criticized Marsha Blackburn in Tennessee, it wasn't because Blackburn was a Republican. It's because Blackburn was extremely hostile to LGBT rights and extremely hostile to women's rights. I now, that was a deeply, deeply red Republican seat. And so, yes, Blackburn still remained in the Senate. But the point was made that there were people who got into politics and got into being engaged with politics because Taylor had chosen to speak out. And certainly on that issue, she has been um, quite vocal, hasn't she, Fanula? But about backing Biden, I suppose she's going to think about her own brand as well. Mm. Um, I'm thinking about this report that um, it was included in a report that came out um, regarding memory lapses involving Joe Biden and the question on people's lips, is he too old to run for presidency again? Maybe, you know, worries with even the Democratic camp about can he do this again? Will he be put forward? You know, will she be taking note of all of that if she's going to make a call on whether or not she offers her support to him? I think she's conscious of that. I think there's probably from her position, I don't know, maybe she's assuming that people would just take it that she's endorsing Biden, whether she gives mm. a strong endorsement like she did in 2020 with the Biden Kamala cookies. Um, I could see her very much 
not actively endorsing, but I could definitely see her uh, doing another voter drive like she did previously. There was a huge uptick there the last time she did that. I think there was something like 35,000 registrations from one Instagram story post. And again, that was at the time when we thought she'd peaked. She's only continued to peak now. So who knows what the numbers will be like then. Barry, American voters, including Democrats, have consistently raised Joe Biden's age um, as one of their biggest concerns. And then we had this report that mentioned his memory and would he have an ability to take to the stand anyway, regardless of classified documents or otherwise. Mm. Do you think this is going to change voters' minds? Um, Well, voters' minds, voters already are worried. I mean, the polls show Mm. that uh, Joe Biden's cognitive uh, abilities are a serious issue in the election. The report by her, the the, the special counsel, um, has obviously brought that really to the fore and I think has uh, caused uh, the Biden campaign a serious problem. Um, How it works out, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's now a lot of talk that Gavin Newsom could be uh, drummed in to actually replace Biden. How that's going to happen? Is anybody's guess. There's nine months to go. Nine uh, nine busy months. We'll have to leave that there for now. My thanks to Fanula, to Barry and to Scott, who joined us on Skype. From all the late team here, take care. Good night. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.